crawled right into the bunk. I was going to read a little bit and go to bed. And I'm hearing gunshots from not that far away. And yes, it is oh. Wisconsin, but it wasn't <laughs> hunting season. You did not warn me about the gunshots. I did not. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Truckers, Dirtbags, and Van Lifers. You know, defining that uh, dirtbag mentality in a positive way. I ran into a, a gentleman this week actually hitching a ride from a town in Arizona, trying to head down to uh, Southern California. And you could tell he was following the snowboard routine, and now he's heading down to follow the uh, surfing routine and, and get into it for the summer. Uh, just a, a genuine dirtbagger living his passion, and uh, we had a good conversation. It was fun. If you're driving one of those big Class A's with three slide-outs, you're probably not a dirtbagger. It's just not happening. Those of us who just follow a passion, we love the road, we love the trail, we love the mountains, we love exploring. Uh, we have a, a fond spot in our heart for BLM land, whether we get there often or not. But it's just those things we have in common. That's what this show is about. Have you ever thought, what, what goes through somebody's head what gives them the courage to jump off the cliff and just leave their job, leave the steady income, leave the steady schedule, jump in their van and head on out to uh, BLM land and see what life is going to be like? And maybe going on faith that I'm going to find a way to continue to support my habit, my hobby, my passion, my lifestyle without draining all of my savings out. That's who we're going to talk to today. Uh, years ago, not that many, and we'll get more into it in the uh, interview. I met a guy named Mike. Mike came to work for the company I was working with previously before I uh, took on the concert tour gig. He was actually living in his semi, saving some money, changed companies. So he's working for the same company I was now, living in his semi. But now he wants to come local, which means he'll have to go find a place to live, which he did. I met him because I had to train him into some of the things we did as local drivers. I got to know him a little bit. Rather than get an apartment or anything like that, he, uh, he got a van and lived in his van, worked the job similar to what I was doing. We got to know each other a bit. Now, I took this job back in July and left that company. And, you know, we still we didn't talk on the phone or anything, but we stayed in touch on Facebook, shot a message now and then, followed each other. And I realized in December that he was off in another part of the country. He was no longer in the Green Bay area. I assumed he was on vacation, but after I saw he was out there for a while, I realized he left. And sure enough, uh, he went out there to uh, pursue a passion of living the van life. I told him, we've got to get this on tape. We've got to record this. I want to share your passion. I want to find out what goes on in your head. And let's explain that to a few other people trucking, van life, when you're not quite ready to retire. You're not 65. There's no Social Security coming in or anything like that. I'm 62. I've got a plan for 65, 67 through there. But I'm a whole lot closer to being able to pull that trigger full time than he is. Yet he pulled that trigger. So with that, I'm just going to jump right into my conversation with Mike. Hey, boys and girls, we are talking to a friend and co-worker, or former co-worker, I should say. My friend Mike 
We must have met in 20... When did you start with the company we used to both work for? 2017? 2019. 2019, wow. Okay. We kind of met before that on your podcast. Um, I had been following your Chuckers podcast. That's right. And you heard about the four-on-four-off job that I had taken. And you never did actually go to that, did you? But you went to work for the company for several years. Well, I did go four-on-four-off. Yeah, that that was my goal. I was over the road working for another big carrier starts with an s ends in the t that everybody likes to pick on (laughs) (laughs) sure wish i had a fast truck (laughs) (laughs) and uh i had heard about the four day on four day off and that's what um kind of intrigued me plus it was local and my family's off in wisconsin and so i moved over to pti and did over the road to begin with and then eventually switched over to the 40 on 40 off that's right uh, local yeah yeah run, running local in green bay uh the mm-hmm. rule the rule there i was driving a, a spotter truck at the time or a yard dog just moving trailers around at a at a very large uh, mill and all of the local drivers had to be trained to fill in that job not that they all did it but uh, they all were trained so in a pinch we could uh call on one of them to fill in when somebody wasn't there and uh so yeah that's yep. and that, I- yeah, that's where you and I really and got to know each other. They didn't have a shuttle job available at the time, so I was spotting down on Ledger, and you were up on the top side. Yeah, so, the two different sides of the mill that we both worked at. That's right, I forgot you did that full-time for a little while, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we I think we were on opposite rotations, so we didn't run across each other at that point. Yeah. And, until and, I went shuttle, because when I went shuttle, then I switched rotations, and that's when I was on the same rotation as as you were on yeah, the side. And, and then Mike and I got to know each other a little bit. And uh, when Mike was driving over the road, much like I am, I, I, I am living in this truck. I, I, uh, I, I have to be willing to not be home until next January to do this job. If I get home for a few days here and there, it's a bonus. But uh, yeah. this, this is uh, serving the tour industry as you're going to be gone, but uh, it's financially rewarding, and that's what I'm after. Um, now, after was it was it before or after you went local when you bought uh, your new home on wheels and uh, you well, wanted? I had I had uh, dreamed about doing this way before I even got into trucking, and then so once I got into trucking and I saw how how easy it was for me. Um, to live out of a little box behind the cab of the truck. <laughs> uh, that even pushed me more so, but my goal was to be debt free before I did it. So that's kind of why I did the trucking thing. Cause I didn't want to be in that position of uh, having to panic if something went wrong or I couldn't find employment or something like that. So um, that's why I did the trucking was to get that free. And then I bought I bought my uh, box van in October of 2019. And I moved into it full time, living in Green Bay at the time, um, two weeks later. That's a previous U-Haul vehicle, correct? It is, it's the smallest U-Haul box van that they have. It's a 10 foot box on it. You know, you are much like me, Don't, don't make it any bigger than it has to be. Uh, one of the 
things I really like about that, along with the size, not having, you know, you know they made a lot of Fords that went into U-Haul service in the 12 foot and up. Yes. And I think the dependability in the Chevrolet is is so much better than that. What is that, the Coyote engine that's in those, the Fords? that? I, uh, well, I've got the GMC. Mine's a, a 2010 GMC 3500, uh, what they call a cutaway van. Yeah. I, I just think the GM is, is better than the Ford when you get into the later engines. I, I, having owned a couple of the Fords and uh, not the yeah, GMC there was, lately. There was certain years that I, when I was doing my research, there was certain years that I was hearing Ford engines were having some some common issues, but I wasn't hearing anything about the Chevy or, or GMs uh, or GMCs having any kind of issues so when i was out there looking i was kind of looking for a box van because i liked the idea of the flat walls and so that was kind of a consideration of mine i had i had uh test drove a few other box vans but they just weren't maintained well that was my biggest concern i'm like if i'm going to go travel across the country i want something that i can know is reliable you know, something interesting in U-Haul's um, marketing strategy, I commented once when we rented a rider truck that I rented a rider truck because we saw so many U-Hauls broke down on the side of the road. And the guy was very upfront. He says, you see so many U-Hauls broke down because they have like 20 trucks to our one. So you're going yeah. to see, but he says their breakdown rate is no less than ours. But uh, a lot of the U-Haul dealers, they don't make a whole lot of money renting U-Haul equipment. They make a lot of money maintaining it because U-Haul has some pretty stringent, uh, and this is no plug for U-Haul, some pretty stringent uh, maintenance requirements. They take care of their stuff pretty good. Yeah, and U-Haul has a, a central website that they sell all their vehicles on. And you can look up each individual vehicle, find out what, what location it's at, and look up the whole service history on that vehicle right online that, which i thought was awesome that is interesting um a little side note here have you ever seen anybody van life in an old uh ups trailer or an old ups truck no because you can't get a ups truck no ups runs them till there's nothing left and then they destroy them <laughs> yes i always thought yeah, that was because that color of the ups is trademarked Oh, I didn't realize that was part of why. Yeah. 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 So they, they, they can't even sell off like the shell of it or anything like that because that color is trademarked to UPS. So, and they don't want to run the risk of anybody ever having that color out there. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, when you moved into this two weeks after you bought it, uh, let's talk about how hard you worked that two weeks to turn that interior into an RV looking, uh, home den my biggest concern so it was it was the end of end of september in in wisconsin so i knew winter was coming up my biggest concern was electricity and heat so i insulated the floor put my floor back in and then i insulated one wall you know put sheathing on that wall so that i could install my my furnace I got a diesel furnace and I also wanted to install my my batteries and my charger inverter and DC to DC charger and solar. So that was my biggest task when I first started out that that first couple of weeks. 
And once I did that, I basically threw a mattress on the floor. I bought a dresser, strapped that to the other wall. That's why I didn't insulate the other wall because I wanted to leave those strapping bars on the side. And I just took my camp stove and um, I had my little uh, TV dinner tray and a chair that I used to sit in and eat at and <laughs> kind of made it work. And I lived in that. And eventually, I also rented out a storage unit that was big enough to pull pull my van inside so that I could work on it uh, when the weather got crappy. And it had electricity. So that helped me because then I could, you know, on my days off or whatnot, I could pull into their work on uh, doing little, you know, add-ons or modifications or trying, you know, slowly, slowly fixing it out. And eventually I built a bed and I, you know, I moved that around to different positions because when I bought the thing, it had a roll-up door in the back. Yeah, I remember you getting rid of that, yeah? Well, I lived in it for 14 months with the roll-up door in the back first. Um, All I did was cut a hole between the back box and the front cab so that I could get in and out. So I put my bed originally across the back where the roll-up door was. And so I had great storage underneath, kind of like you see in a lot of vans uh, where they've got, you know, they can open the back door. They got the bed right there with a bunch of storage underneath. They call a lot of them call it a garage. So so um, that is wide enough to sleep uh, port to starboard as opposed to uh, fore and aft. Yes, it's a six, six and a half feet wide. Oh, neat. That, that was the other reason I liked it, because I could put my bed in all kinds of configurations. What I didn't like about that setup was... I felt kind of trapped in there because that that roll-up door locks from the outside. I figured if I ever got in a situation where there was a fire or something like that that I had to get out of here fast, I'd have to climb over the front seat to get out, and uh, that made me nervous. So my goal always was is to take out the roll-up door and put a passage door that I could walk in and out on the back of that. And so I eventually did that towards the end of me that 14 months. But that changed my whole configuration because now I couldn't have the bed across the back. So then I moved the bed across the front, and I didn't like that because then I, part of, you know, I was living in the city. So stealth camping was more important to me at that time. I never wanted to get out of the truck after I parked it and go walk around back and, and come in the back door because that just lets everybody know you're climbing in the back. Oh, I, I know um, just what you mean, yeah, living uh, both in my car and then in my van, yeah. So I, I just wanted to, you know, climb from the front cab into the back. Well, I had a blanket up be- over the hole uh, between the, the front cab and the back so nobody could see in. And trying to move that blanket out of the way, climb up over my bed, because I had moved the bed to the front of the truck or, or front of the box, that was just a pain. And I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. So that next year, I said, I need to do something different. And that's where I, I, I went back into renting a, um, an apartment. I got a little uh, oh, yeah. studio apartment. Yeah, you yeah. got a little studio when we were both working out of this, the other mill for a while. That Yeah, I got a little studio in. apartment so that I could, uh, when I originally set up my van i i installed all of my electrical stuff on the floor because that's really what i had 
And I'm like, I don't like this idea. Once I start adding a water tank in here and something like that, I just don't like the idea of all my electronics being on the floor. If I get a leak, if I get something, you know, there's, there's a potential of all that getting damaged. So I wanted that up off the floor. I also wanted to build in a bench seat and I wanted the bed to be able to move up out of the way. So I, the configuration I have now is I have a Murphy bed style, the long ways from front to back that folds up on the passenger side of the vehicle. And underneath that, I have a uh, bench seat that I built and inside of that bench seat is, is all of my electronic stuff. Oh, that's which is, which is mounted up on the, on the wall under that bench seat. So except for the batteries, they're sitting on the floor. So that gives me a lot of storage underneath there too. And that's also where my furnace is um, underneath there. So now, now we're talking uh, the classic Chinese diesel heater, what an 8,000 BTU in there. Uh, I think mine's 5,000 BTU, but yeah, it's it's one of the Chinese diesel furnaces. Does it cook you out when it's like 40 degrees out, 45, 50? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Oh, yeah. um, I, I have... can kind of regulate that because the, so the Chinese diesel furnaces don't shut off. No. They, when they... They'll throttle down and they've got to continually pulse diesel fluid in there to keep it, to keep it glowing, you know. Um, and it'll throttle back up when it needed it. So as I started adding insulation, uh, like I have my ceiling insulated, the other wall is insulated now, the back wall is insulated, everything's, you know, insulated now, uh, that thing will cook me out of here in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll bet. In my little uh, 6 by 12 utility trailer, yeah, 5,000 BTUs would uh, cook me. That's a truck going by. I am doing this out of our terminal in Illinois, so you will hear a few sounds. Um, the wind is also blowing awfully hard, so things rattle in the truck when it rocks back and forth from the wind. And, and I apologize for that, but hey, this is yeah, real life. not really hearing anything, so I think we're good. <laughs> so on the Chinese diesel heater thing, I'm really, um, because I had the same problem in the little camper, which I still own, it's in storage. And I'm honestly thinking, I know they make a 2,000 kilowatt smaller but in that little in my little van i need something for heat and i'm thinking even that 2000 would probably cook me out of that van i, I don't know i don't know what the alternative is because i sure don't want like a mr buddy that runs for four and a half hours and costs you five bucks on uh you know and then you're chucking a canister i, I don't know what other methods there would be if you had it to do again what would you do different well um i like i like the chinese diesel heater because of the it's dry you know, you're not putting any humidity into the air when it's when it's running. Uh, currently, now that I'm out on the road and I'm down in Arizona, traveling and stuff, now it gets it gets chilly here at night. It drops down into the 40s um, sometimes, and the wind's blowing. Uh, what I've been doing now is I I pretty much just run the heater until it comes up to temperature, and I shut it off. When I sleep at night, I just I throw either an extra blanket or I've got a sleeping bag that I'll throw over the top of me. And in the morning before I get up, I've got the controller right by my head. I just turn it on, let it warm up the trailer before I uh, crawl out of bed. So, and then I shut it off, you know. So I turn it on and off more now, but it's not running all night anymore. Saves a little fuel and keeps you comfortable, yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm, I modified mine by putting in a five-gallon fuel tank because living in Wisconsin in the winter, the, the fuel tanks that come with them, I was filling that every two days. Yeah, I went through that, and I had a uh, five-gallon tank that I kept full, uh, portable. But, yeah, I was filling that every about every day and a half, uh, and that was shutting it off to go to work. If it was too cold, I'd just have to leave it on low and deal with it. But uh, you, you, the things people don't think about, whether you're living in a in, in a motorhome or in, like, what you're living in, in, in a, a cube van or in, in a town and country like I am or in your car, is if you're in the northern part of the country in the wintertime, the Midwest, the east, where temperatures get well below freezing and sometimes well below zero, how do you protect those? You know, your your computer, your things that can't freeze, your solar, your batteries that really don't function well when it's 15 degrees out, all, all those things you have to think of in the build. And I've upgraded the lithium batteries now, which you can't, you can't charge them when they're below 32 degrees. So you have so to warm you, them up before you can. Do they work when they're below 32 up. degrees, or you just can't charge yes, them? Yes, you can. You can use use the charge off of them, but you can't add charge to them. And so they have a little BMS controller in there that'll stop you from charging it. Yeah. And all of my all of my components have little little um, like thermal or thermometer sensors that uh, that I have stuck between the batteries so that they can tell what the temperature is um, so that they won't even try to send a charge to them. Oh, that helps. Yeah. So in the winter, so so what I found once I moved back into the van and I had the lithiums, my solar would not charge during the day and they don't get as much charging in the winter, but they wouldn't charge at all during the day unless it was warm inside of my van. So I had to leave my, my diesel furnace run on a low setting all day long while I was at work, just so my solar would charge my batteries. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> kind of a catch 22, had to use power to the, the gain power, but the solar would charge it more than, than uh, what I was using, so. You know, it's funny you were talking about the moisture because uh... Like even here in my truck, I have uh, an APU, uh, a two-cylinder diesel generator attached to the side of the frame, and that runs uh, my, ref- you know, well, my refrigerator will run off the house batteries too, but that will kick on um, to recharge batteries as anything gets low automatically. But uh-huh. that runs an RV roof air conditioner with a 900-watt heat strip in it and all of that. And when that heat strip is running, the windows stay dry. It, it's dry air moving around. When it gets cooler, or I just don't want to deal with the noise, I plug in a little 1500 watt electric heater, run it on a thousand watts, and uh, it keeps me toasty warm. It's actually more comfortable than the roof heater turned on, you know, the heat strip in that big RV air conditioner up there. Uh-huh. But when I get up in the morning, I have steamed up the windows. And, yeah. and, that, and that's the nature of, of electric, or if you're running a little propane stove. Murphy's Law, someone did pull up next to me and fire up an APU. So now you're going to hear a little parasitic noise in the background, and that's somebody's diesel motor running next to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, even even with my diesel furnace in the really, really cold, I mean, when I'm, I'm talking, you know, below zero temperatures, 
when I have my curtain up between my front cab and the back, my front cab, all my windows would get frosted up on the inside. Wow. Just because that, that warm, moist air hits that cold air against the glass and instantly frosts. So I'd wake up in the morning um, before I could leave, I'd have to run my truck a little bit with the, or the van with the blowers blowing just to be able to see out the windows to get the frost off the inside of the window. <laughs> <laughs> if I had the curtain open, that wasn't an issue because it would, it would warm up the cab area it, enough. Yeah, that would, and yeah, move in the dry air too to take care of that problem. Um, as I started playing with, uh, urban car dwelling and uh, different ways to get out and about and travel while working the four on four off thing. I do have to say Mike taught me um, the basics of getting going on stealth sleeping, uh, where to park, stop and move everything around somewhere else so you can just pull in, uh, put up your window blinds, whatever the case may be, park and go to bed and you're not getting out of the vehicle. The one thing yeah. he didn't warn me about, and maybe you can expand on this, was one of the places on the north side of town, and it was right across the street from a little truck stop. It was a, just a nice little area where you could pull in, back in, go to sleep. And I went to I oh gosh, I probably pulled in there at like 7.30 and just crawled right into the bunk. I was going to read a little bit and go to bed. And I'm hearing gunshots from not that far away. And, Yes, it is oh. Wisconsin, but it wasn't <laughs> hunting season. You did not warn me about the gunshots. I did not. Yeah, across the freeway there is a, is a trap and skeet club. <laughs> and they have leagues at night that they're, they light the place up and they're shooting away. Yeah. Oh, man. It was like, I'm not in Chicago. What is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and then I, I actually... I. Um, I immediately just left there and drove across the street and parked in the truck stop. Not that I wouldn't still hear it, but now I'm surrounded by people. And then I went on yeah. Google Earth and found the gun club and thought, duh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, I knew about that because my storage unit is on the back side of that. So I'd be at my storage unit hearing all this gunfire and I'm like, what, what the heck? Yeah, and you couldn't you couldn't see it from the road until until it got like middle of winter, and you'd see them when they'd light up the lights there, um, and they'd be out shooting, and you're thinking, why is anybody out here in this cold shooting? But they did it. Uh, well, I suppose it'd be late fall and stuff like that. Then you could see start seeing through the trees when the leaves started falling off that they hey oh I see what they're doing back there. <laughs> Wow. And, and you know, you may not know this, but all of this goes out on a, a new podcast I started. And I set it up simple. So once I edit, boom, the podcast is out. There's no website going to it or anything. It saves okay. a lot of steps. But that is truckers, dirtbags, and van lifers. And and dirtbag, although none of us are, you and I anyway, are, are hardcore rock climbers or anything, there's still that dirtbag mentality meant in a good way, that vagabond, that gypsy that wants to do this. So somewhere around Christmas, I realized, or after there, you were gonna head to Arizona, but I figured you were going on vacation. Do you wanna expound on that just a little bit? So I, uh, after I had gotten that apartment, you can get very comfortable in an apartment after you've lived in a van for a while. 
because um, you have all the conveniences again, like running water. You don't have to figure out where you're getting your water from. Your shower and your bathroom and all that stuff are right there. Plus, I was having a, a fun time and, you know, had a bunch of friends there and uh, enjoying myself. But I was like, you know, it's been my dream to get out here and I just need to set a date to do this. So I actually set a date based on a, um, a club that I belong to, which is uh, Escapees. And they're, uh, they're an RVing club. They have a, like a segment of the Escapees is called Escapers. And these are mostly working age, full-time RVers. And not all of them are that, but that tends to be the, the biggest majority of the group. And they were having their annual bash down in Arizona in, in Lake Havasu City the second week in January was, uh, or third week in January, I think it was. Uh, and so I signed up to go to that, paid the money for it. And I'm like, that's, that's my drop dead date. Whether I'm ready or not, I'm leaving because I know me, I could, I could procrastinate and delay forever. And it, it's scary quitting your job and leaving your friends and going off into the unknown. It, it's scary doing that and I know for me if I don't if I don't set a goal and and give myself a date and then I tell everybody this is my date this is when I'm leaving so that I'm kind of held accountable to myself <laughs> not that they of course they all told me oh you'll be back or you know you don't have to leave why are you doing this you know I got all, all of that kind of stuff my family thinks I'm all going to die out here. You know, <laughs> it's like. It's funny that you say that because, yeah, the same thing. I go think of my Uncle Stan. I love my Uncle Stan. He was an, he was an outdoorsman. He's since passed on. Uh, a hunter. I had no brothers. Stan and Joanne had three sons, all a little bit older than me. They were the closest things I had to a big brother. They were out in the high deserts of eastern Oregon. I grew up in Portland. But, uh, you know, Stan was a hunter, a fisherman, just an avid outdoorsman. And he knew if I just, you know, suck it up and do this job at the lumber mill, I'll, I will retire. Um, he moved into management, uh, was doing well. And, you know, in his early 50s, he uh, came down with cancer. And, and uh, long of it short, he passed away. But in his move into management, he gave up his union pension for a corporate pension. And the company went bankrupt. And had he lived a long and healthy life he would have lived a long and healthy life on social security because the company went bankrupt and his pension was gone it, uh, oh. he, he would have had maybe one or two hundred dollars a month out of all of that time buried in there but i mean he was still you know just a happy and outgoing man but some of us are just looking for something other than man this job sucks but if i do it till i'm 60 i, I don't know I, I just that's not me well, I worked at a hospital for four years before before I uh, became a truck driver. At that hospital, um, so I was a supervisor in the environmental services department, which is the, the cleaning department. I oversaw or in my areas that I was responsible for. I had three cardiac ICU units and two cancer floors. Uh, those were my primary areas. And then, of course, we... We uh, helped out with the rest of the hospital too. I worked with a team of a uh, total of five supervisors on my shift. Every day 
when you work in a hospital situation like that, I would run across people, especially being in the cardiac ICU or the cancer ward, people who that was their game plan was they worked hard their whole life. And when I retire, I'm going to go do X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z never came because their health went to crap and, and they never made it there. And I don't, I can't even tell you how many times people looked at me in the last few weeks or months of their life and said, if there's anything you want to do in life, do it now. Don't wait. And I heard that over and over and over again from these people that their their lives were short after that, you know. So when I, I actually got fired from that job um, because they were making some changes in the department. And so they let four of us, man, or three of us supervisors and one manager go. And the director, he, he switched to a different hospital. That was a wake-up call for me. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait around and and wait to see if I make it till I retire. You know, I've, I've watched a lot of people get up to that retirement age and all of a sudden their health goes or something. And then that, that dream they've been holding on to forever never materializes. So let's bounce this back to your application. Um so you went down there to go to this meetup. Uh, what have you learned, and have you been able to uh, find any niches that you fit into to uh, support your, your dream way of life? So down in this area, so a part of my going to this bash was not only the fun aspect of it, because they, they did have a lot of fun there, uh, but during the daytime hours, they had different seminars going on. Uh, they had seminars about, you know, how to find health insurance, how to get uh, uh, set up a domicile address and how to get your mail and and how to find employment out there. So those were all kind of things that I was interested in. Of course, they had a lot of this stuff online, too, but uh, I wanted to actually talk to other people that were in this situation. And I wanted to talk to other RVers who have been doing this full time lifestyle for a while and, and kind of get a feel for you know, how do they make this work? So I wanted to go to that event. And then the following week after that, down in Quartzsite, they have what they call the Big Tent, which is a, a, another gathering. It's it's kind of a, around a big RV show that they have in Quartzsite. Uh, that, and then they have this big tent that has all these vendors there. Now, and, does, does that coincide with the, the RTR, the Rubber Tramp Roundup? This year it did. I don't know if it does always, but I was I was kind of disappointed because I had planned on going to the quartzite thing. Or no, I, I take that back. It doesn't. My bash was the same week as the RTR. Uh, yeah, and the bash was... So uh, the week before that, yeah. So that's why I couldn't go to the RTR. Yeah, that. Um, I was actually planning on... May I was warned, my plan was to take two weeks off in January, this being my first year with the company, and just make bank. And everybody warned me, have enough money for January and February just in case. And freight rates are so far down when we're not on a tour, um, and nobody tours in January. Um, yeah. Just take the month, and they actually uh, um, funded my health insurance and stuff out of vacation that uh, I hadn't earned yet. So class act to the company. 
So I figured yeah. I'd probably be at least the middle of February. So I thought, well, I'm going to spend a month here and then I'm going to run down and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd miss the RTR, but at least I could make it and, and see Quartzsite while it was fully populated and and get a feel for the, the RV van life situation down there, which is I was very excited. And then I got called back to work the end of January. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they have they have that uh, the big tent thing going on. After that was Schooly Palooza. That was down towards Yuma. Or no, that was that was in that was in Quartzsite too. That was on the other end of Quartzsite though. So they had that going on. And then some people that I met, they were headed over to towards Yuma. So I followed down there. Then they had this Howling at the Moon event that I went to. What's which, that? I saw that on Facebook. Okay, so uh and apparently they do this every month that there's a full moon during during the the winter seasons when everybody's out here they don't do it in the summer because it's too blazing hot it's a private family that's been doing this for the last like i don't know 15 years or so they they basically arrange to have a couple live bands they actually this is done on private land now. Apparently it started out on public land, but they ran into issues with that. So now it's done on private land. It's all done by donation. They sell t-shirts and stuff to try to raise funds for it and and ask you to donate to the bands and stuff like that. But uh, And then they have food trucks that show up and it's a two day event. And it's pretty much just kind of like a party. And when the full moon comes up, everybody howls at it. And it was something different, you know. So it was kind of fun. And and again, I had met some people at this bash, and they were the ones that told me about it. So there was there was probably a group of seven or eight of us there that I had already known. So that's what I think made it, you know, funner because then we went out to dinner one night and we did, uh, and we actually, we actually did a, a moonlight uh, hike up into the hills behind the camping area there. There was no alcohol involved. No, not a whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> alcohol was uh, not involved. <laughs> I, we'll just take your word for that, Mike. <laughs> uh, but, but we, uh, you know, so we hiked up these these tall hills behind there. I don't know. We probably did a five mile hike up the, in the just by moonlight. But you know, that's something you don't get to do. And we were having a ball and just being silly. And I've since then met up on different different uh, sites with other people. Like the place that I'm at right now, which is outside of Yuma, Nitri Lake. Um, a couple that I had met at another event they've been following me on facebook they saw i was out there like hey where are you at that kind of looks cool we're going to be in that area you mind if we you know come over by you so i gave them the coordinates that i was at i'm like hey come on over here you know and so they've been over here the last uh three days we were both planning on leaving today anyways um unfortunately we had a lot of wind and sand blowing around the last couple days so it made it a little tougher to kind of hang out with each other but we had a couple campfires and you know i, I read that in quartzite too the wind got a little strong and cleared quite a few people out just the ones i follow on youtube that were out there and yeah they everybody's been telling me that this year has been unusually colder it's about 10 to 10 or 15 degrees colder than it normally is 
I've I've heard that you know wind is pretty common down here, um, so you got to kind of be prepared for that. And then you know windy days it kicks up a lot of sand, and so you get these little sandstorms. That's just something you got to deal with. But so today after we're done with this, I'm I'm heading towards California, and I'm just I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going that way. You know, there's when BLM the, land, so it'll all be good, right? Yes, uh, I'll figure it out as I go, and uh, I'm going to stop before I hit the ocean. And <laughs> there you go. So back to um, income-producing opportunities. What's called out your name? So I, ideally, I am trying to find something that I can do like digitally online type stuff. Um, so I've been applying for different positions for that. I'm kind of being picky. I'm not in a situation where I have to work immediately. Um, but I've also been looking at different work camp opportunities. There's a ton of them out there. And I've, I've uh, you know, through these different group things that I've gone to, these different seminars, I've linked up with all these different websites and and so I've actually landed a job to work in Yellowstone National Park this summer. Oh, wow. So I thought, thought that would be a cool experience. I followed a couple backpacking that did that uh, one winter. They ended up with, um, what was that, Trust the Trail podcast in, in their Facebook group. And uh, they ended up living in a town by Yellowstone. And now he works for the county and she works for a, a store of some kind in Yellowstone. They hardly ever podcast okay. anymore. But yeah, funny how life goes. I, I, they were the ones that really enticed me into uh, backpacking. Um, one advantage you and I both have in the scenario you're in is if push came to shove, you can park somewhere and drive a semi and make fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars a week for six months and, and refund the uh, the effort. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's a sometimes a good crutch and sometimes not so good of a crutch. But it, it, it is a it is an out when when uh, the funds get low. There's always a plan B. Well, and I can tell you this, since I've been putting my resume out on, uh, on uh, like Indeed and stuff like that, uh, uh, or ZipRecruiter and all of that, uh, to find these remote um, type positions, I am getting at least two or three emails a day about truck driving jobs. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they'll see in your resume that you've got a Class A CDL, you've been a truck driver, I was an instructor too, so I mean... They're like, oh, we'd love to set up an interview with you. And I'm like, don't you see in my resume I'm looking for remote work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remote you work know. doesn't doesn't mean drive your truck all over the country. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I took this specific job with a purpose, and that was to, uh, uh, I'm 62. I, I want to be 100% debt-free well before 65. And all that's left is the mortgage. I've made some serious damage since I've been here. And uh yeah. You know, trucking for the entertainment industry is, is uh, financially very rewarding. Sometimes we run hard. Sometimes we sit. Uh, I have sat in Barstow, California for a week or more, probably three or four times in the last seven months. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I get paid for it. I'm paid by the week. So yeah. it, it's just it is a unique industry. So, yeah, it is nice to have that crutch in a pinch but yeah you 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 went into it with a good reserve so that is cool um as okay we're rolling out of here tomorrow so the trucks have been parked but guys have been in town if you got rooms i'm a cheapskate 
So now I have an APU running on either side of me, so the background noise is a little more, um, <laughs> which tells me we should probably wrap this up. So um, any last words of, if, if you're thinking about it, um, oh, I know one other thing I wanna cover because of your environmental background and you've done some building inspections and things like that. What did you insulate your van with? So I used um, an inch and a half pink foam board to insulate because that's the same thickness as a two by two stud. I wanted to stud out my walls so that I had good good structure to be able to attach cabinets and stuff to. Yeah. That's what I insulated with was the inch and a half. I got an inch and a half on the floor, an inch and a half on the ceiling, and an inch and a half on all the sides. Now you gave me a warning when I was first starting with the utility trailer about insulation and you gave me a warning on just the white low r factor but just just the white styrofoam insulation panels repeat yeah that white that white uh board that's got it's like looks like little beads that are just like squished together to make the white board you don't want to use that because that is highly highly toxic if it starts to burn um that's something we always, as a home inspector, warn people if we ever saw that in a house to get rid of it because uh, it could literally, uh, the gases and smoke that come off of that can kill you before you get out of the room. And even so, a very small room. Uh, take this from very, yeah. Take this from somebody who did this for a living for a while. Um, so yeah, this you you don't want to use that stuff. Um, where the 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 other type of insulation board although it still will put off toxic gases when it burns it's got like a flame retardant type substance built into it so and you still I mean, have you a chance to, have, to escape <laughs> yeah you can get out before it'll kill you but that other stuff just yeah bad stuff and, and you have a uh, um all the all fire i'm sure you have a fire extinguisher and a detector and a carbon monoxide detector too I do. I have all of that. Yes. That, that was something my family has hit me on. I don't know how many times. Yeah. My family is like, Oh, you can, uh, you can have a carbon monoxide detector. And I'm like, well, you know, I really don't even have anything that puts out carbon monoxide, but you know, I'm going to have that anyway. So, um, cause you know, the diesel heater vents outside. You know, my thought is you never know who's going to pull in next to you with a piece of crap that's not tuned up properly and their exhaust is blowing right under your camper um yeah, i have yeah, i, I have one happen. in the truck sleeper yeah so i have it it's there it works i have my fire extinguisher very convenient right right near where i'm cooking so if i ever have a uh an issue something flares up i can at least get out that's that's my biggest thing and that's you know that's really what you're worried about is be able to get yourself safely out of there you know, one last question before things uh, get really noisy. Uh, for both guys like us and also women out here who uh, venture, venture into the van th van life thing alone, um, I, I think you very well reassure there is a community out here um, and a very good community at that that you can network with. But uh, personal safety, touch on that. So, I mean, there is a community out here, um, and it, but you have to you have to make an attempt to connect to it. That's that's the biggest thing. You know, with safety out here, you gotta use your instincts. 
you you really have to pay attention to what's going on around you. You have to be alert. Uh, there are areas that I've pulled into that I just kind of said, you know what, just not comfortable here. And so I went and found somewhere else. Now, was anything going to happen there? Probably not. You know, I have a disadvantage with my box stand because I was living in the city. I didn't put any windows in it. So my only way of seeing out is through the front cab and or opening my back door. So if I hear noises and stuff outside, I have to really, you know, wonder what's going on out there because I, I block off my windows at night, you know, so. Have you since put windows in there? I have not. I, I plan on it at some point in time, but I just don't know. I haven't built any upper cabinets, like up towards the ceiling, and I want to build either some shelves or something with that first to get my height of where my window's going to be um, before I put a window in. I will not put any really big windows in. Uh, this box, I just, I just use too much wall space yeah. for stuff. And half the time, if you put a big window in, you're covering it at night because you don't want people looking in. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I but know. I will say those days that I was in here with, you know, the, the sand blowing around in the wind and stuff like that, and you're kind of trapped inside for a couple of days, gets a little claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah, you probably spend a little more time having coffee in your uh, front seat. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I took all the shades down and had that open and... You know, I got a pretty big opening between my front cab and the, and the back box. So just having the windows uncovered up front lights up the back box pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's nice if I can have the back door open too, because then I don't even have to turn on any lights in the in the trailer. I do have two vent, you know, vents in the ceiling of my box. So well, you have match so fans they, up there, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and they and they allow air. Um, light in and stuff and although there's like a filtered light because they're a white cover on them but I have to say when I moved when they closed down the mill that you and I were both working at and I moved back to the other mill on night shift uh, I just have one vent in the uh, little utility trailer camper and that's about 30% built but uh, boy that thing let in a lot of light I had to uh, put something under it that would allow the air to pass and block some of that light so I could sleep during the day <laughs> Mike, I am. I thank you so much for sharing some of your uh, experience and journey. We'll have to do this again down the road here sometime. Um, yeah. But it has been fun. If anybody has any questions, just just send them to. Uh, you know, at the easiest place is backpackingstrong at gmail.com. Backpackingstrong is one of my sites. I don't do anything other than update it. I haven't written for any of my sites in a while. But uh, backpackingstrong at gmail.com, and I can forward it on to Mike or uh, get a hold of him for an answer. So that's probably the easiest way. But yeah. uh, Mike has taken a very methodical and uh, safety-conscious and obviously financially conscious uh, way of doing this. And, and I'm anxious to follow your journey as just being the, uh, you know, the, the, the dirtbag that I am, but in a very good way. Have you given your van a name? I have not. You know, I've I've only given one vehicle in my life a name. That was my first vehicle, and I called it Spunky. And I I I don't know. Everybody seems to do that, and I just I don't know. That was never my thing. So I guess 
I guess if I call it anything, it's buddy when we're, when we're, uh, like when I'm climbing up some dirt hill trying to get into a space that I probably should have no business being in. And I'm going, you can do it, buddy. You can do it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, oh, what got me into backpacking was years ago in like fifth or sixth grade. I found some books written by a guy named Colin Fletcher, um, who has obviously long since passed on, but he walked the California section of the Appalachian Trail before it was the California section of the Appalachian Trail. And okay. uh, I read a book from that about his journey there and a couple others, his journeys. Um, and I've actually found a couple of his paperbacks are in the truck that are on my reading list. Um, so yeah, my, my little silver uh, Chrysler Town and Country is Fletcher. <laughs> there you go. All right. Mike, we will talk to you again. Thank you so much. You know, that conversation is probably a, a good month old, five, six weeks old maybe. I just haven't had the time to record an, an intro and record an ending and put all this together and get it out to you guys. So I am excited to uh, I thank Mike for coming on the show. I'm excited uh, to share this with you guys. Uh, to just give you inspiration and uh, sometimes you just jump out on a leap of faith and make sure that uh, things will work out. And I think that's what Mike's going to do. I look forward to staying in touch with Mike. And uh, Mike, I do apologize for taking you know four or five, six weeks to get this out. I do have another one in the can for next week, so we will get a few of these out a little more often. Interviews are very hard to do. Doing the show is hard enough. Is it quiet enough? Do I have motors and stuff running in the background? And I have a rare opportunity today where everything is quiet. I'm in Arizona. The weather's a little cooler. I don't have idling trucks or APUs running or generators. Uh, I just had a good time to get all of this done. With that, you know, the easiest way to get a hold of me is just backpackingstrong at gmail.com. That is uh, one of my websites. The other one is, of course, uh, the Trucking Podcast, truckingpodcast.com. Um, you know what? The Trucking Podcast at gmail.com also goes right to my box. I have to move my servers around, and I'm trying to give up feedback at truckingpodcast.com. I just need to change the people who use that one into the trucking podcast at gmail.com kind of confusing but moving servers around and moving that box around for for really no good purpose uh, i just need to cut it off people are used to gmail not a big deal other than that boys and girls i will uh, talk to you uh, before two weeks are up with the next episode and we will uh, maybe dig into some technicals there i, th I think you'll like that i've, I've got uh a couple of things that really kind of touched me that people should have known about before they got into it and maybe save other people the headache. With that, we will talk to you all soon. Thanks again for listening.